0: Hi, this is Tammy Hill, and this is the Live Your Wife podcast. I am so delighted today to have my friend, Dr. Sarah Coyne, on the show. She is going to visit with us a little bit about media and relationships. And so if you have instances within your relationship where sometimes you're not sure how you feel about your cell phones in your marriage, this will be the episode to listen to get some great advice. So grab your friend, grab your partner, and sit in, and we're going to start now. Hey, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: Thank you. I would just love to have you start out by telling my listeners who you are and what it is you do. And I'd love to learn a little more about why you decided to research media.
1: Sure. Yeah. My name is Dr. Sarah Coyne, and I am a professor in the School of Family Life at BYU. I've been here about 14 years, and I study the impact of media on children and families. I have five kids of my own ranging from ages four to almost 17. And so we're, we're kind of right in the thick of it and cell phones and all the like. And I, I study media because I feel like we spend more time using media than doing almost any activity. If you actually add up the hours, I mean, it, it's easily 60, 70 hours a week of using media. So it, it feels like an important thing
0: to study, especially in this day and age. Mm-hmm. So 60, 70 hours a week per person?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it, there's a huge range but you know if you add up all the hours you spend say on your computer for work or listening to the radio when you're driving or you know texting your
0: friends you add it all up it's it's a huge amount. Wow, that's amazing. So because I teach and work with premarital couples, I was especially interested in starting off uh, having a conversation about what do you see as important things for couples to kind of talk about in regards to media before they're married
1: That is a great question. I would love for every couple to have a conversation about what kind of media culture they would like in their home when they're just a couple and then also when they have children. Usually what happens? is, you know, cell phones comes, television comes, tablets come, and and it just kind of gets a little overwhelming. And then we're arguing about it or we're being reactive instead of being proactive and thinking about what do we want our house to look like in terms of
0: media? Because every house today will have media. So it's important to have the conversation. Mm. So important to have that conversation. And so moving forward then into marriage relationships, what are trends you're seeing today in regards to media and how it's affecting marriages?
1: Well, I'm not one of those people that thinks that media is all bad or all good. I, I'm really right. quite in the middle. And and we've looked at both in our research. So we've found that couples that regularly text each other and especially text you know, positive things, express affection, tend to have more positive communication and better relationships on the whole. So you can certainly use technology to connect with your partner and to improve your relationship. On the other hand, something that I look at is called technoference. And this is when technology can interfere with interpersonal relationships. I've looked at it in quite a few different contexts, but I started out in romantic relationships. And we find that technology can interrupt communication between your partner when you're on dates, in the bedroom, at mealtimes, you know, all of these different places. And that tends to be related to a host of negative outcomes, especially for women, including depression, anxiety, less
0: satisfaction with the relationship, with the co-parenting relationship, and so on. And I'm not anti-media either. I think it's important to utilize it, though, in healthy ways. And so I'm hearing kind of on both sides. One, you can really use the media to enhance your connection with your partner. And you can have that technoference that can interrupt a lot of different interactive times within family relationships, and it creates more negative results.
1: Yeah. So let me give you an example of a study we're working on right now. we We went out to restaurants and I had my students just observe couples eating. Oh,
0: fascinating.
1: Yeah. And we coded for how much technology they use. Well, if they used it at all and then how much they used it and then what happened to the conversation. And you would not be surprised to hear that the the vast majority of couples use some sort of technology during the meal. And generally what would happen is it was a trigger for the other person to pick up their phone Mm -hmm. and then conversation would stop. Um, on the other hand, there were some couples who would use it together. So they show each other a funny video or look at a text or, you know, things like that. And so so that that could have a positive impact. But for the most part, you know, you're on a date. You're supposed to be spending time together. Like you're away from the kids. Oh my gosh, like this is couple time. And yet we're still kind of automatically turning to our phones, which can interfere in a significant way.
0: Yeah. Do you Do you find in any of your studies, like... Are there ages where it seems to be, because I didn't grow up with the cell phone, but I can tell you honestly, as a 60 year old woman, that I am reaching for it any chance I get to have, when I have a little downtime, the first thing I want to grab is my phone. And so is it across generations that we're kind of getting in the habit of looking at our phones all the time? Yeah, we actually explored that in our in our restaurant study. And we predicted
1: that younger people would be more likely to reach for their phones. But you're absolutely right. We did not find that. Really? We found mm-hmm, people of all ages. The only time they didn't was like on a first date, oh. which we couldn't tell. But like, we could kind of tell because it was so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "Ah, oh, this is a first date. And, and in that case, they were a little less likely to reach for their phone because I think they're worried about other things. But but yeah, more established couples all ages. You know, even seventy year olds, eighty year
0: olds, we're reaching for our phones still. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's interesting. Jeff and I were several years ago we were back at Mount Vernon Um, the home of George and Martha Washington. And we had this just delightful tour. And then there was this one little charming restaurant where people were in colonial garb and serving colonial food. And we were so excited to be there. And we looked around and there were so many people that were just on their phones through the entire meal and not communicating with one another or not really savoring the ambiance of the situation. And it made me feel a little bit sad to see that.
1: Yeah, and, and there's even some research to suggest that even just the presence of a cell phone on the table, even if you're not using it, can negatively impact communication in a couple context. And so, one you know, easy easy fix here is to just throw your cell phone in your pocket or your purse when you're when you're on a date with
0: your with your significant other. Mm-hmm. I I say so too. So one thing that I'm seeing more and more in my counseling is couples who come in who are having some negative interactions with cell phones between them. They're going to bed with their phones. They're not engaging with each other in rituals as they you know, go to bed and things. And so I really tell people and recommend that people charge their phones outside of the bedroom and charge them in the kitchen or somewhere else so that when they are coming to bed, they're really coming to bed together. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that advice or any research to back it up.
1: You know, I think that that's fantastic advice. I usually look at it in the context of adolescence and we always recommend cell phones out of the room because it interferes so much with sleep Mm -hmm. in terms of adolescence. For a couple contexts, though, you're absolutely right. I think that cell phones are becoming part of the bedtime ritual for many of us, myself included. And so it it wouldn't be a bad idea to do that. uh, To either store them away or have like a time where you turn it off. So, So for me, I do use it right by my bed. It's my alarm. It's my white noise machine. Like it's all of those things but I turn it on airplane mode at a certain Mm, time to make sure that I kind of have other things after the cell phone to connect with my spouse or to read or to journal or or to things like that. And that kind of signals, okay, you know, technology time's done. We're going to slowly do other bedtime routines and that's going to improve sleep, which is good for a host of, you know, mental health and relationship outcomes um, and also help you connect a little bit better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea about airplane mode. Um. So throughout, for several decades, some of the leading causes of divorce have been dissatisfaction in marriage regarding your finances and your sexual relationships. And some of the new things I'm reading suggest that devices and media are really creeping into there to be a strong proponent for both of these areas that lead to dissatisfaction and divorce in marriage. And I know that online infidelity and emotional affairs that happen sometimes because you're reconnecting with people online. What do you suggest are some great things to protect couples from getting into the trap of checking out old boyfriends or girlfriends or you know, kind of unwinding in media or chat rooms where they're engaging with other people?
1: So I think that's a fear. uh, And I've heard it quite a few times. Uh, I think it's a possibility for, you know, online infidelity and things like that to happen. I would say it is fairly rare, though, for the most part. And so I don't want to like blow it up and be like, okay, if if your partner's on social media, it means they're having an affair, right? Because sometimes I've heard that, right? In a church context. And I'm just like, ah, you're blown out of proportion here. But there's a lot of things that you can do. And so something that a lot of couples like to do is have like a joint social media account that they both use. And so they're kind of seeing what the other is seeing. Others like to set limits for themselves. And I think that's just a good idea in general. Mm-hmm. in terms of healthy media use, what, what they find, the more time that you're on social media and the more time your spouse is on, it, it's called like Facebook jealousy. There's like an actual psychological term for it. Interesting. In terms of, you know, assuming that something is happening, even when nothing is happening. And so something I've tried to really do is, is set uh, limits for myself and help my kids do that. You know, I, I like social media. I really like Instagram but I don't need to be on it for hours. I think about 20 minutes is good enough. And so I'll put a little cue on my phone, a little alarm to just remind me, you've been on for 20 minutes, do you really need to be on for longer, right? So there's there's small things that we can do. What I'm actually more concerned about in a relationship context is the impact that say uh, media addiction would have on that relationship. So I study video game addiction, often in the context of adolescence, but we've done a couple of studies in like marriage. And when somebody has a true addiction and it can be to video games or, or social media or anything, they struggle to be in the real world. Their relationships are impacted, their work life, their parenting because of media. And I know many relationships that really struggle because of that. A lot of spouses are trying to do everything themselves because their you know husband or wife are caught in this media trap. And when it gets to that point, that is when I think that there's a significant problem that you could really use, uh, say, a marriage and family therapist to work through.
0: Mm -hmm. So video gaming, then that's something you have researched? Yes. Yeah, quite a bit. Tell me a little bit about that and relationships. What have you found?
1: So the research literature suggests that they call it pathological video game use. And it's about maybe... 7 to 10% of gamers. So it's a low percentage. Most, most people can play video games without any problems. But some people, it's almost like a substance use addiction. So you're preoccupied with it. And mm-hmm. um, you develop a, a tolerance where you need to play for longer and longer period of time to get that same kind of, you know, fix almost. Some people have withdrawal symptoms, you know, physical withdrawal symptoms when not playing high conflicts with, you know, spouses or children or parents or very similar things that we'd see with a substance use addiction. And, and again, that can absolutely impact in terms of time, right? Certainly right. the time one spends gaming, but also kind of the preoccupation with it instead of, so I have family members who are addicted to video games and instead of being able to focus on their kids, they're always thinking about gaming and they're always turning to gaming while the kids are kind of doing whatever they want. And so, looking for, for signs of, of a true gaming addiction, I think is someone something that um, every couple should be aware of, and trying to recognize that in yourself as well. You know, is this impacting my ability to function? Mm-hmm. Is this in, impacting my relationship? Mm-hmm. Or is this just, you know, fun, a way to let down steam or, you know, whatever? Mm-hmm. Those are so important questions.
0: That so that would be a question for sure then to integrate in the premarital stages of your relationship, right? Kind of assessing what you're observing with their behavior that way.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're dating somebody with a true video game addiction, I would recommend getting some help and treatment before entering into a real committed, say, marital relationship. I just like I too. would, you know, for any sort of addiction.
0: Right. I agree. I hadn't included video gaming in my thoughts for this particular podcast, but I don't know why I missed over that, but I know that I work with couples where one or the other is seems to be addicted to gaming and it is negatively impacting their relationship. Absolutely. So So, what resources do you know that are out there that can really help young couples and individuals to work through some of their challenges with media?
1: My favorite site that I personally use all the time is Common Sense Media, commonsensemedia.org, right? So it's it's mostly a content-based website. So you can like look up how much violent or sexual or, you know, swearing is in certain things. But they've also just got a host of research that helps you make really valuable choices in, in terms of for being a parent and thinking about media or in terms of just kind of the family media culture. So I'd recommend getting familiar with that site. The other thing I really like is the American Academy of Pediatrics. On their website, they have some questions that could guide a family media plan. And again, I recommend this for every couple and every pregnant couple. Mm -hmm. And and even if you have like kids that are older, just to try to figure out um, what are some, what's the culture of our house? Like, do we want to have phones at the dinner table? Do we want to have phones in the car? Do we want to have phones in the bedroom? How can we have conversations with each other if we feel like one of us is using our phone too much, right? In the moment to be like, yo, put your phone down, (laughs) right? But if we talk about it beforehand and say, you know, what are some some key phrases we can use when we think that the other person is, you know, preoccupied with their phone or ignoring me because of their phone or things like that.
0: So that's a nice resource as well. Common Sense Media and uh, the American Pediatric Association. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And how can people learn about the research that you do? Where can they find access to that?
1: I have a website that I don't update very often. SarahMcoin.com <laughs> that we try, to, we try to post some things, but I have a Psychology Today blog as well. If you just Google that where we will sometimes talk about uh, romantic relationships and medias as well.
0: Awesome. So, Sarah, you know this is the Live Your Why podcast. And I really believe that when people understand what it is they really want to be about and what they're choosing to live for and they're lining up their how or their actions with what they believe they want for themselves, that it really brings such joy and satisfaction and peace to your life. And I like my um, guest to share with my listeners a little bit about Their why. So, Sarah Coyne, what is your why?
1: So, this is something I've been trying to put into words, and I'm not sure I'm going to get it right. The words to a song come to mind, and it says, Do what is right, let the consequence follow. When I think about what I do and why I do it and how I do it, I just want to do good. I just want to do what is right. And sometimes that takes a lot of courage to say something maybe that's not popular or to reach out to a marginalized group that others are saying, don't do that or don't talk to that person or to be bold enough to go against the culture or the counterculture to say things that that shift the conversation in essential ways that I think is really important. And so I have tried to live my life in a very authentic and vulnerable way to just do what is right, to be what is right, to just make the world a little bit better place when I leave it. Mm. And again, be it's like trying to live courageously, Mm -hmm. let the consequence follow. It's it's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: I love that. And I, I believe that's exactly what you do. You do bring such light and goodness to the world. And I see the good that you do.
1: Thank you, Tammy. I appreciate it. It's not
0: always easy. It really isn't. <laughs> it isn't always easy to be courageous and standing up for what is right and what you really believe in. So I admire that strength that you have. And I hope that my listeners will have really benefited from our conversation today and thinking a little more about what media culture they want to have in their future home or in the home they're at right now and how they want to use media within their relationship to bless each other and to strengthen their home thank you so much sarah for coming thank you for having me i hope this information has been really helpful for you today as you ponder about media video gaming cell phones all of these important conversations that we need to have as we anticipate and move forward in relationships thanks for tuning in now go out and live your why